Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Colossians chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. We began a series two weeks ago entitled, Jesus Above All, which I believe is the overriding theme of this letter written by a man by the name of Paul. He is in chains. He is in prison. He is writing to a group of people that he has never met. He has only heard about them through a man by the name of Epaphras. And this man, Epaphras, received the gospel, many believe, at Ephesus through the man by the name of Paul, who wrote this letter, and then he took the gospel back to his city, and he reclaimed territory for the the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with this city. And many came to faith, and a church was established, and they began to grow, and Paul hears about their growth, and he writes back to them, and he wants them to understand this, that Jesus reigns above it all. So I've entitled this message today, All Means All. All means all. Last week, if you were with us, we saw and heard of a prayer that Paul was praying for these Christians, that they would get more of Jesus, that Christ would increase, and now he enters into what many have called and believed to be the very crowning jewel of the book of Colossians. It is a beautiful poem that speaks of the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ. And we will find that throughout this poem, seven Times Paul uses the word all, A-L-L. Now that word all is a simple word, but it makes a significant difference. Consider you're taking your car through the car wash, and you're about halfway through that car wash, and you realize that you forgot to roll your windows all the way up. That happened to me two weeks ago. Or maybe you are getting to the end of a work week and you're getting your paycheck and you look at your paycheck and you realize that HR did not include all of the hours that you worked for that particular week. Or maybe you're getting to the end of those IKEA instructions. Ever had to do one of those? You get, you get almost to the end of the IKEA instructions and you're reaching down into the bottom of that box and you realize that you did not get all of the legs for that nightstand. It's a simple word, but it makes quite a significant difference, doesn't it? Or maybe you're driving your car down the road and that check engine light comes on and all of a sudden something seems a little shaky, something doesn't seem right, and you realize you're not running on all of your cylinders. Or you pull that chicken out of the oven and you sit down to eat that family meal and you take a bite into that juicy chicken and you realize that it did not cook all the way through. Or parents, maybe you can relate with this one. You're in a hurry, you're running out of the house, you get the kids in the car, you get them strapped into their booster seats and their five-point harnesses, and you throw everything that you need to in the trunk, and you close it up, and you sit down, you put it in reverse, and you're backing out of the driveway, and you realize that you do not have all of your children. (laughs) It's a simple word, A-L-L, but it makes quite a significant difference, doesn't it? And I don't think it's by chance that as Paul is penning the words to this beautiful poem, that it's not an accident that seven times he uses that small word, all. Because through a seemingly insignificant word, he is seeking to communicate a very significant truth. 
So let's read it together this morning, Colossians 1, and take note with me as we read how many times he says all, and in the context, what is he speaking about when he uses that three-letter word? Verse 15, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All means all. If you're writing some things down this morning, I want to give you a big idea that sits over top of the text that I believe will help us to unpack and understand over the next 35 minutes or so what the Spirit of God intends for us to know from this paragraph of Scripture. And it's this, Jesus reigns above all. He doesn't reign above some. He doesn't reign above most. He reigns above all. Life really is a battle for what gets the throne of your heart. I've said this before, but our, our heart has a throne with seating capacity for one. It doesn't matter this morning if you are a teenager or a college student or a young adult or a newly married couple or a a family trying to raise your kids or maybe you're an empty nester or maybe you're a retiree. It doesn't matter where you might be on the spectrum of life. There is this constant battle for what gets preeminence, what gets the throne, what gets our full attention and what is actually ruling our life. While there are definitely other things going on in our life and there are other priorities, there must be one priority that sits above the rest. And Jesus is seeking to have and to hold that place and position in our lives. Jesus reigns above all. Every time we place something else on the throne, we dethrone Christ. Whether it be sin or pleasure or self or our own dreams or our own ambitions, whatever is ruling, whatever is calling the shots, dethrones Christ. And I wonder today, are we trying to live as Christians while placing Jesus at a lesser status than all? Maybe some, maybe most, maybe even the great majority, but not all. I wonder, do we just sort of carve out the hour and a half on Sunday and say, okay, God, you can have all of that hour and a half. Or maybe we pick and choose areas of our life and we say, okay, God, I'm going to give you this area and this area, but not these areas over here. These are mine. Those are yours. But as we understand the preeminence of Christ and the superiority of who he is and what he has come to do in our lives, he is deserving of all. Jesus reigns above all. All And while we might get frustrated driving down the road, realizing that we're not running on all of our cylinders, or while it might be a little disgusting biting into that juicy, slimy chicken that hasn't been cooked all the way through, the fallout is far greater if we try to live our life as a follower of Jesus without Jesus possessing all, ruling and reigning from the throne of our lives. Jesus reigns above all. 
Now that's a bold statement, and maybe you're already arguing with me a little bit. Maybe you're already pushing back, being like, really, John? You're just going to get up and make us all listen to you talk about why Jesus needs to be all? Prove it. Well, I won't prove it, but I will let the scriptures do that for us this morning. And I want to answer this question, why? Why does Jesus reign above all? And this poem, this text, this crowning jewel of the book of Colossians gives us five undeniable reasons why Jesus reigns above all or why he should. So follow along with me. I want to point these out. And again, I want, I want the scripture to do most of the talking today. I want you to see and understand what God has given to us through his spirit. The outline is going to look like this. Jesus reigns above all because, number one, he possesses divine rank. Verse 15, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul gives two deifying statements here about Jesus. First of all, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels like an oxymoron. How can something be an image of something else that's invisible? He is the image of the invisible God. If you are new or newer to Christianity, Jesus is not just a good representation of God. Jesus is not just the best human example of God or the one who lived most closely to his commands. Jesus bears the very DNA of God. He is the perfect imprint of his nature, the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus is in fact God, and yet as the Son is distinct from the Father. You say, John, that doesn't make sense. That's a little confusing. I've still got some questions. Well, join the club. It is sometimes hard to fully illustrate and understand in our human minds and by the confines of our created being, but yet this is what we see in Scripture, that there is one true God, and yet he exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is spirit. He is invisible, as Paul articulates in our text this morning. John, the beloved, in John chapter 1, says that no one has seen God. So as spirit, who is invisible, that no one has seen, how can a God who cannot be seen be known? Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone has seen me, he has seen the Father. This is the incarnation that God put on flesh and bones and became a man and dwelt among us. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In 2017, Angel Studios released the first of its kind, a multi-season series on the life of Jesus. You probably have heard of it. Maybe you've been binge-watched it. It's called The Chosen. And I believe that the chosen really has been a gift to us because what it does is it helps us to see God in everyday real circumstances. Just the ongoing nature of that series of episode after episode after episode, being able to kind of tease out different characters and personalities and to see not only the deity of Christ but also the humanity of Christ has allowed us to really see God with skin on. And it seems like the best moment in, in each of those episodes is when Jesus has an interaction with someone where he says something or he does something that just feels so good. It feels so right. It feels so God. 
when he extends a forgiveness maybe that isn't deserved or, or it's a love that is unconditional or he gives mercy to someone and you're just sitting back in awe watching this thinking, man, only God could do something like that and you're right. And so we get a glimpse because Jesus gives shape and substance and character to the person of God. He is the image of the invisible God, but then Paul gives this second deifying statement when he says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, Jesus was not created. You have to just simply read the very next verse to see that. That's not what's going on here. Firstborn is not speaking of chronology, but it's speaking of status. That a superior status has been given to Christ The Israelites were called the firstborn sons of God, but they were not the first chronological sons of God. There were sons of God before Israel, like Abraham, like Jacob. And so Israel is called the firstborn because it's a a superior status. David is called the firstborn king, but he was not the first king chronologically. Saul came before him. But given, given that status, it is a superior status that was given to David. And so, too, with Christ, he's given this superior status as the firstborn of or the firstborn over all of creation. We do this with the wife of the president. She's called the first lady. That doesn't mean that she is the first lady chronologically, but she has been given a superior status because of the significance of that office. And so why is this important that we understand the divine rank of Jesus? Because Jesus reigning over your life is a position that he properly deserves. Because he is the image of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn of all creation. And no one and no thing, nothing else in your life deserves that place of prominence. And until you surrender to the Lordship of Christ, you will not find true satisfaction and lasting meaning in the pursuit of any lesser Savior. You might be pursuing money as a Savior, or a relationship as a Savior, or influence as a Savior. All of those things in and of themselves fall inferior to the preeminence of Christ. He is the only one that deserves that divine rank on the throne of our lives. Jesus reigns above all because he possesses divine rank. Number two, Jesus reigns above all because he exercises superior authority. He exercises superior authority. Look at verse 16 of our text. For by him, again Jesus, all things were created. And then Paul opens up the veil here and he pulls back to see that there are two dimensions at play. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Then he further describes the two dimensions, visible and invisible. Then he unpacks a little bit more the invisible realm when he says whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. He doesn't get into great detail, but he does help us to understand that there is rank and hierarchy to the invisible unseen realm. And then he reiterates all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the creator, the firstborn of or over creation, and the one who has superior status in that creation, the one who created all things, those things that are seen and those things that are not seen. Things on earth and things in heaven. As a matter of fact, the word heaven in the text here is plural, heavens or the heavenlies. So there is a seen realm 
and there is an unseen realm. We live in an increasingly naturalistic world where we want to measure and explain and define and categorize everything. We have science, we have medicine, we have education, we have psychology, we even have meteorology so we can predict the weather. We call it a forecast. We're going to tell everybody what's going to happen on the weather tomorrow because that's just, we've, we've, we've advanced and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with science and medicine and the advancements that have come, but sometimes the advancements have masked the reality of the unseen realm. Because they've taken everything unnatural and given it an explanation and given it a physical box and physical parameters. But there is both a seen realm and an unseen realm. In antiquity, those in Bible times would have had a far greater understanding of both the overlap and the interaction between the natural and the supernatural worlds. And today I'm afraid we have often missed or even downplayed just how significant the interaction is between those worlds and how they run parallel to each other. And so we find ways to put everything that seems unnatural into a nice, tidy, physical, natural box. If you've ever seen the Netflix series, Stranger Things, I don't know that the producers had in mind that they wanted to illustrate biblical truth, but they got pretty close. And so strange things were happening in the town of Hawkins, and a group of young boys were beginning to see things that others were not seeing, and they were making connections that the rest of that little town was not understanding and the connections that they were not making. And in the first season, they discovered what they called the upside down. It was this, it was this parallel universe on just the other side. It was an evil parallel universe to what was seen in the natural realm. And one of the characters in that show, his name is Dustin Henderson, defined it this way. This is what he says about what they call the upside down. It's right next to you, and you don't even see it. Sounds pretty similar to what Paul is seeking to unpack here. Christ has created all things on earth, but also up in the heavens, plural. Things that are seen and visible, but also things that are unseen. And in that unseen, invisible world, there are thrones and there are, there are dominions and there are rulers and authorities. And so what's going on in this unseen realm? What's going on just on the other side of this thin veil that separates what we see from what we cannot see? Well, there is a good side and there is an evil side. There is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. On the good side, there are divine beings carrying out Yahweh's will in the spiritual realm. And on the evil side, there are fallen divine beings, fallen divine entities who are resisting Yahweh's will and terrorizing humanity who are God's image bearers. And I'm afraid that for many Christians, what we believe, all that we, all that we believe about the unseen realm is that the only inhabitor of the unseen realm is God himself. But Jesus is not the only divine being. There are other divine beings but Jesus, as creator, possesses authority and power above and over those divine beings. And so as Paul articulates this in verse 16, he says, All things were created through him and for him. So they are inferior, and they are subject to his will and his authority. 
And they, do, they are not allowed to do anything outside of what he is allowing them to do. And yes, they have reign and rule here on this earth below. But only, only because of what Christ has allowed them to do. And so as we sit in the reality of what verse 16 is saying, I want to I pull over to the side of the road just for a moment. Because this can be a little startling. This is not the theme that we talk about every Sunday here at City Point Church, but it's in the text. So here we go. But as followers of Christ, how should we respond to the unseen realm? It's there, whether we acknowledge it or not. But how should we, as followers of Christ, who have been rescued, we learned last week that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness and we have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, how should we respond to this unseen realm? Well, number one, we must not fear. If talk of this or ideas of this spook you a little bit, that is not the intention. We will learn in a couple of weeks in Colossians chapter 2 that on the cross, Jesus disarmed rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in himself. They are defeated foes because of what Christ has done. So we don't fear. As a matter of fact, now through the church, God has commissioned us to reclaim territory, to take back territory from the kingdom of darkness and to advance the kingdom of light. I want to put a verse on the screen that just blows my mind. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, so, so that through the what? So that through the church, that is those of us who have put faith in Christ, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? The rulers and authorities, where? In heavenly places. Holy stinking cow. And here I thought that gathering on Sunday morning was about forced karaoke, a free cup of coffee, and a 35-minute Bible lesson. That is what's going on right now. That God is using his people to put on display the very multifaceted, manifold wisdom of God, not in the physical realm alone, but also in the unseen spiritual realm. So that those fallen divine beings are looking in on this and saying, oh, that's what God's come to do. Don't underestimate what we've gathered to do this morning, City Point Church family. That God is using us to put on display the manifold wisdom of God. We must not fear. But number two, we must also not be ignorant. We must not be ignorant to the unseen realm. If we think that the roaring lion is no big deal, we are mistaken. If we fail to recognize gateways that have the potential to open up, even in our own lives, the influence of that unseen realm and those fallen divine entities, the gateway of ongoing habitual sin, Paul says that anger gives place to the devil. That word place is a spatial term. That through ongoing, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, we might even open up a gateway to allow some of that influence in our lives. You say, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't be possessed. You are right, but you can be terrorized. These gateways, when Christians get involved with occult activities like Ouija boards and tarot cards and mediums and obsession with things of death and things of darkness. And listen, 
All of these things can be gateways to a, an unseen realm that is very real. We must not be ignorant. If we are unaware of the demonic stronghold even of generational sins, the demonic existed way up your family tree. And even through generational sins, there can be ongoing influence and terrorization. If we think that the battle that we are fighting is only physical, we have, we have gotten to the place where everything is natural and everything is explainable and everything is predictable and everything can fit into these nice, tidy, physical boxes. We are mistaken. We must not be ignorant. It's time as a church that we build awareness. If there's something in your life that seems to be unnatural, could I suggest that it may be because it's supernatural? There are two realms. We must not fear. We must not be ignorant. And number three, we must not retreat. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority is given to me. Go, therefore. In other words, go with the borrowed authority that I am giving to you. So as we go and advance the kingdom of God through the gospel proclamation that we are called to give to this world, we are advancing the kingdom not in our own authority, but in the authority that comes from the one who has all authority. Authority over and above all of the other realms. And so we are going in his authority. This should change and give new meaning to the way that we pray. Don't just pray into the seen realm, but pray through the veil into the unseen realm. And understand that that battle that you are fighting is also spiritual. Our confidence is that Jesus still exercises all authority. Jesus reigns above all because he exercises superior authority. He has created all things, those that are seen, those that are not seen. And now we as his followers have his authority within us because we are possessed by his very presence. The very spirit of God is now within us. And so as we go, we go in victory. But that doesn't mean that there is not opposition. Jesus reigns above all. Number three, he reigns above all because he demonstrates complete capacity. He demonstrates complete capacity. Look at verse 17. Here's that little word again. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Two more supreme realities about Jesus. First, Paul wants us to know that as creator, Jesus is uncreated. He is before all things. That is a word of chronology. It means that he is in front of or he is earlier. So you go back to the beginning of time and Jesus is past tense. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. So as creator, Jesus is uncreated. But also as creator, Jesus is not disconnected from his creation. He says that the second half of verse 17, and in him all things hold together. We used to sing this song back in Sunday school growing up as, as a kid. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And as true as that is, even that song is not the full extent of it. Because it's not just the world that he has in his hands, but the writer of Hebrews says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The entire cosmos is held together and sustained by Christ. Jesus is not disconnected from his creation. But you know what's easy to do? It's easy to come into church 
It's easy to learn these big, high, and lofty theological truths about God, but then wonder to ourselves, how does that really make any difference on my Monday morning commute? How does that make any difference as I'm trying to raise my kids for Jesus? How does that make any difference as I start a new semester at college and I'm a little intimidated by this? Well, here's the reality. Jesus doesn't just hold the cosmos together. He holds your life together too. Jesus isn't just interested in holding the universe together. He's interested in holding your marriage together. Single mom, he's interested in you raising those kids. I know you're a little fearful. I know you're praying prayers because you think that that you've got a disadvantage and maybe the devil's been feeding you some lies, but you don't have a disadvantage because you've got Jesus and you've got a community. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole universe in his hands and he's interested in your life. He's interested in your discouragements. He's interested in the burdens that you walked in carrying this morning. He's interested in your heartaches and your setbacks. Whatever you're going through right now, he's here to sustain that as well. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is a gentleman, which means that he will not take from you something that you do not give to him. So as long as you are trying to sustain your universe, he's going to let you try. As long as you're singing, I've got the whole world in my hands, as long as you sing that, he's going to be like, all right, let's see how that works out for you. He wants you to surrender. He wants you to yield. He wants you to give to him what he is rightfully worthy of possessing, which is your entire life. Yield it to him and give it to him. Jesus reigns above all because he demonstrates complete capacity. Number four, Jesus reigns above all because he deserves first place. This is verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, that's a close cousin to the word all, that in everything he might be preeminent. The creator, who is Jesus, has a new creation, which is his church, his people. The word church simply means the assembly. Those who put faith in Christ, we are his new creation. So even this poem, it's going from creation to new creation. And so now the creator has a new creation in his people And since the church is the body, that's the metaphor, Jesus is the head. He is chief. He is over it all. He is the ruler. He is the sustainer. He is the one that is leading. And it is his resurrection that makes this new creation possible. We're going to see a word here that we saw at the beginning of this poem, again in verse 18. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn. There's that word again. Again, it's not chronology. It's status. So even in death... Jesus has superior status. He is the firstborn from the dead. Is he the first one to have ever raised from the dead? No. Remember Lazarus? But his resurrection has a, is, was a superior resurrection because through the resurrection of Christ, now he is the firstborn among many brothers. And now those of us who will put faith in him can also be resurrected. And through that resurrection, through new life in Jesus, we are made new creations in Christ. We are a new creature in him. And the church, his creation, is not the end of his new creation. So he says at the end of verse 18 that in everything, yes, in your life, yes, in our church, but also through your life and through our church to the world, that in everything he might be 
preeminent. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 speaks of how all things are culminating into Christ. So I wonder this morning, how is Team Jesus doing in your life? Is he winning? Is he losing? Is he first place? Or maybe second place? Third place? Fourth place? The longest basketball game in NBA history took place in 1951. It was between the Indianapolis Olympians and the Rochester Royals. Anybody still rooting for those guys? I don't know. The game lasted 78 minutes, 78 minutes of playing time, six overtimes. And if you're wondering, I wrote it down here. The Olympians won 75 to 73. Six overtimes. Why? Because the NBA doesn't allow ties. And neither does Jesus. It's not about Team Jesus getting second place and thinking, well, that was pretty close. I mean, you know, it's better than fifth or sixth. Preeminence. What does that word mean? That's a big word. We don't, we don't use that word a lot today. What does the word preeminence mean? First place. Nothing less. No ties, no draws, first place. Christianity is about Jesus having first place. And it's been sad to watch as Christians and sometimes even churches make Christianity about other things other than Jesus. Christianity, friends, is not about politics on either side of the aisle. Christianity is not about prosperity. It's not some quid pro quo where I'm going to do a little bit for Jesus and see if he'll kind of pay me back two and three times as much. Christianity is not a get-out-of-jail-free card like fire insurance. Hey, I don't want to go to the bad place, so I'll do the Jesus thing to try to go to the good place. Christianity is not even just some social club. Listen, I love you all. I love being here. You guys are my friends. This is a great place to be. But it's not just about getting around people that you love to be with. It's all about Jesus. Christianity began with Jesus. It was made possible through Christ because he is the firstborn from the dead. And it will only ever be in your life what God intended it to be when you allow Christ to have first place, that he would be preeminent over and above all. Jesus reigns above all because he deserves first place. Fifthly and finally, Jesus reigns above all because he fixes broken things. He fixes broken things. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's a reiteration of verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 20. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, our world is a, it's a broken place. It's full of broken things. There is hurt. There is pain. There are needs all around us. We feel it. We feel the groanings as Roman 8 speaks about. But Christ has come to reconcile. That word reconcile means to make right what is wrong. To fix what is broken. A bookkeeper will sit down and open up the books and they will reconcile the books and they'll go down the ledger and look at every entry and every purchase and every, every item on that list and they will, they will compare the internal records with the external records of the bank statements and the credit card statements and if something is off or if something is wrong, they will reconcile it. They will fix it. 
And what Christ has come to do is to fix all that's been broken. Is all of it fixed right now? No. But will all of it eventually be fixed? Yes. And so what do we see even in our text? The things that God is fixing that have been broken. Well, our text is speaking specifically of the unseen realm that we talked about in verse 16. When it says in verse 20 that through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, that word reconcile, the tense of that word is past tense. In other words, this particular action has already been completed. The reconciling of all things in heaven and on earth. You see, the order of the cosmos was disturbed and disrupted. And at the cross making peace by the blood of the cross. When Christ died on the cross, again, Colossians 2, 15, what he did on the cross was he fixed the broken cosmic order. And so now he set again what was wrong in the heavens and the earth so that now it would be right. It was the great reversal, what he did on the cross. But it's not just the unseen realm that he has come to reconcile. We learn also in Scripture that he will reconcile even all of creation. Because under the curse, creation is groaning because of that curse. But someday, and someday soon, he's coming back. And when he comes, he will restore that Edenic reality even here on earth. But it's not just the unseen realm that he has come to fix. And it's not just creation that he has come to fix. But he has also come to fix and reconcile humanity. That all of us, because of sin, we fall short. We miss the mark of God's standard. But now through Christ and what he has accomplished for us, even we can be reconciled. We can be fixed. We can be made right with God. And that happens through faith in Jesus. And I wonder this morning, has your relationship with God been fixed? Have you put faith in Christ and in him alone? Is he the king? Is he the Lord of your life? Because it's only through faith in Christ can that relationship be restored. Paul, who wrote Colossians, also wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans 5, he said this in verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friend, have you received reconciliation? I'm not asking, have you come to church? I'm not asking, have you dabbled in spiritual things? I'm not even asking, have you tried your best to be a good person? Because ultimately what that is, is you trying to fix yourself trying to be your own savior. We are broken. We are dead in our sin, and we need a savior. We need rescue. And so we need someone to come do for us us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is why Christ has come. So, friend, please don't come into this room week after week and think that you can clean yourself up and better yourself up and fix all of your own problems. I could not do that. And anybody in this room who's a follower of Jesus could not do that. We have come by faith to Jesus, and he has done that for us. He has fixed what has been broken. And when Jesus reconciles you, oh, this is good, your sins are forgiven. Just like that bookkeeper, he goes down the ledger, 
and every single wrong and every single error and every single thing that is out of place and that has been done wrong in your life, he fixes it. He reconciles it. And now on your account, it is not your sin. It is his righteousness. So when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees his son. And when you have been reconciled, your sin has been forgiven. And by the way, it's all the sins. Stop asking God for forgiveness. He's already given it to you. Follower of Jesus, it's your past sins, it's your present sins, and it's even the ones that you haven't even committed yet. Because that's just how powerful his reconciliation is. When you are reconciled to Jesus, you are made at peace with God. You begin a new and eternal relationship with the Father. It is through Christ that we come to God. So here's that big idea. Jesus reigns above all. I know it's a simple word, A-L-L. It might not seem to bear that much significance until you understand what Paul is seeking to communicate about Jesus. That when I say Jesus reigns above all, I simply mean all. That there is nothing in your life and nothing even in the cosmos of this universe that Jesus falls inferior to. But he is superior above all. Don't settle for some, don't settle for a good portion of, don't even settle for most of. Let Jesus reign above all in your life. And so my first question for you this this morning as we learn to live is this. Is Jesus the king of your life? He cannot reign above all until he has been enthroned. Is Jesus the king? You, You don't You don't live life, you aren't born with Jesus ruling and reigning on that throne. There must come a point, there must come a time in your life when by faith you turn from yourself and your effort and your sin and you turn to Jesus. Has that moment happened? Do you have a before and an after? Where Christ has been enthroned and because of the lordship and the kingship of Jesus, your sin has been forgiven and you have been reconciled and been made right with God. And if you were here this morning, and you've never done that, I would invite you today. I would invite you even now. In your heart of hearts, believe. Trust in Jesus. And if you will today say yes to him, if you will today say, yes, Lord, I enthrone you. You are my king. You are my Lord. Then your sin will be forgiven. You will be made at peace with God, and you will have an eternal relationship with the Father. And if you're here today and you say, John, you know, today I'm ready. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to make that decision. I've never made that decision before. Maybe you've never understood it to this extent before, but today you're saying, yes, I am ready to trust Jesus as my king. Then if you are here today ready and willing to do that, I would encourage you with one additional step. If you would, right after the service, I want you to come by the desk in the lobby, and I want you to find Derek or one of our leaders. And if you said yes to Jesus today, we have a gift that we want to give to you. It's a book that will help you to understand that new relationship with Christ. Because what it means to be a follower of Jesus is so much more than than just saying yes. That's the beginning. But that brings you into a relationship with him. And so if today you're saying, you know what? I'm done with my ways. I'm done with my efforts. I'm going to say yes to Christ and let him be the king of my life. Do it even now. Trust him even now. And then stop by that table. And let somebody know so that we can pray with you and put something into your hands that will help you to grow in that relationship, that new relationship with Christ. 
And if you're here today and you are already a follower of Jesus, he's already the king of your life, then my second question is for you. Where does Jesus need first place? Or maybe I should say it this way. Where does Jesus need first place again? Where has Jesus been demoted where he needs to be re-enthroned? Let the Spirit of God search your heart and reveal to you that area of your life that you have been keeping from Christ. And maybe you're the only one who knows about it. Maybe you've been trying to be open and honest even in your life group, but even in that context of friends and spiritual family, you've not even shared that area that you've kept from God. Where does Jesus need to be first place again? And then thirdly, who needs to hear about your king? Who needs to hear about the one who is Lord of your life? We have been called to go into this world and to make a difference. And it doesn't matter what you may have on your schedule or on your calendar for this week, you are gonna rub shoulders with people that don't know Christ. And if you do, he's calling us, not just the pastors, not just the leadership of the church, but every one of us who name the name of Christ to take the light of the gospel to those around us and to, to bear witness to that light and to share the hope of Christ. Who needs to hear about your King? Let's reclaim some territory for the kingdom of light this week. This poem, it is the crowning jewel of this text. And as Paul writes this poem, he wants us to know that all means all. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, that in everything he might be preeminent. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him he is reconciling all things to himself. Let the king reign. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this text and the time that we have had today just doesn't seem to be enough. If we had hours upon hours more to expound on these truths, it would not do justice to the realities found in this text of who you are. But if we get nothing else, let us enthrone you on our lives today. If there's somebody here today, and even, even today, for the first time, they've, they've said yes to you. They've come to that moment of faith and they've realized that they've been trying to enthrone something else, but they're done trying in their own effort and they want to trust and believe in Jesus alone. I pray that even today that they would have the courage to, to let somebody know so that we can pray with them and encourage them in that new relationship. If there's somebody in this room and they've just been arguing with me the whole time, for every statement that I have said to be true, They've come back in their own mind with a counterstatement to try to prove it as false. I am not in a position where I need to be proven right. I trust your word. And so may they come to a place where they submit to the authority of you, not the authority of me. May they come to a place of faith in Jesus alone. And then for those of us who call you Lord, God, may we live our lives where you reign above it all. That in all of the areas and the practical implications of what that means, that we would allow you full authority in our lives. And God, what could happen 
in a church, what could happen in a city if we would be the kind of people that allow Jesus to reign above it all. And so do it. We believe for it. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.